0: Welcome. I'm Chris Pradas from the Water Trust, and I'm talking today with Charles Kenny, a senior fellow at the Center for Global Development, a think tank that does incredible policy research and advocacy on the topic of global development. And as we turn the page on what was a difficult 2016 for many and look to 2017, the theme for our discussion is the case for optimism. Uh, in 2011, Charles authored the book Getting Better, why global development is succeeding, and how we can improve the world even more. And more recently, he wrote The Upside of Down, Why the Rise of the Rest is Great for the West. He's been a contributing editor at Foreign Policy Magazine and a regular contributor to Business Week. And Charles' ability to be both rigorous and realistic in his analysis of the world around him, while still maintaining an infectious optimism, has earned him praise from cynics and optimists alike. Um, His book, Getting Better, caught the attention of Bill Gates, who not only gave the book a glowing review, but who also wrote the books forward. In today's discussion, Charles covers many topics, uh, including why he's more optimistic about the future today than when he wrote Getting Better five years ago. Uh, why we underestimate our global progress in improving health and reducing poverty, the potential for even greater progress in the future, and why he ultimately thinks the US and Europe, despite the events of the last year, still enjoy the greatest opportunity in history to improve quality of life in the West as well. Um, I greatly enjoyed my conversation with Charles and I hope you do too, thanks. Charles, to begin, it's, it's been more than five years since you wrote Getting Better, why global development is succeeding and how we can improve the world even more. And it's safe to say that 2016 has been a tough year for many across the globe. And my question to you is: Have you retained your optimism?
1: Absolutely. In in some ways, I'm more optimistic than ever. Um, that is not to say there haven't been some, you know, terrible events this year, including the the ongoing tragedy in in Syria and Yemen, um, and some events that. Pot end for the possibility of of of, of some you know uh, bumpy road ahead. Um, you know I'm I'm disappointed by um, what voters seem to be saying uh, in in the in the Brexit election in Britain, and I'm, uh, I'm disappointed by what they seem to be saying uh, in the U.S. election. That said, in the last five years, we have continued to see unprecedented global Progress in nearly every measure of development you can think of. Um, One way I'm more optimistic than I was when I wrote Getting Better um, is that Getting Better pointed out that one thing we hadn't seen much uh, uh, in the way of convergence of, 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 of those further behind catching up with those further ahead uh, was around income. Well, over the last you know, five, six, seven years, um, it's become increasingly clear that we are seeing income convergence. The poorest in the world are getting you know, uh, uh, richer at a faster rate than the rich are. And, and one of the fantastic things about that is it means we've seen this – Incredible drop in the number of people who are extremely poor, living on less than a dollar ninety a day. From you know a uh, 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 sort of two thirds drop over the last um, uh, twenty or so years, um, which is fantastic. Sure. Um, but also, we continue to see you know massive drops in in the number of uh, children dying before the age of five worldwide, you know, uh, much more than halving over the uh, last 20 years. And we've seen fewer and fewer women die in childbirth, and we've seen more and more people uh, live uh, healthy lives um, through adulthood. You know, we, we, we've just passed the, the milestone uh, globally that uh, 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 the average life expectancy now is above three score and ten, you know, 70 years, um, which is double what it was uh, a century ago. Go um, and you know we continue to make progress on that, and there are a whole bunch of forces behind all of this progress, which I don't see grinding to a halt. Um, sure, there are clouds on the horizon, and sure there are terribly important global issues we have to deal with, you know, climate change, uh, uh, antibiotic resistance. Uh, you know, there are, there are a number of, of, of real challenges we have to deal with. But we know how to deal with those challenges. Those are, are solvable challenges. So as long as we keep on, uh, um, you know, working together, we can answer those challenges and we can continue making the kind of just fantastic, historically unprecedented progress that we've seen over the last 20 or 30 years.
0: One question you know, that comes to mind when considering all the progress that you're describing um, is that you know there are many who still don't share this optimism. Um, a poll from this past July found that only 6% of Americans think uh, all things considered the world is getting better. Um, two-thirds think poverty has been increasing rather than decreasing over the past few decades. And two-thirds uh, don't believe it's possible to end global extreme poverty. Um, so how do you describe this sort of disconnect between the reality of uh, progress in the world and uh, people's pessimism about the future?
1: Well, I'd say two things. I mean, especially in the United States, if you look at median income, median household income, sort of you know, the, 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 the average person and, and how they're doing, they haven't seen much progress in the last 20 or 30 years, frankly. And I, I think that's a, a, a real shame and um, an avoidable uh, 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 problem um, that US domestic politics hasn't managed to convert continued US growth and continued global growth into improved prospects for the average person in the United States. And I, you know, I think the, the uh, skepticism about the rest of the world partially follows on from personal feelings about how, you know, how, how people feel they're doing um, um, domestically. Um, the other fact part of this though is is, is, is what you read in the newspaper uh, you, What you read in the newspaper tends to be uh, uh, bad news. Uh, um, if you will, most news is bad news. Uh, it's not terribly exciting when somebody wakes up in the morning, has a good breakfast, skips down the road to school, uh, has a good day at school, comes home to two parents uh, and a full meal on the table, and you know goes to bed. That's that's not news. That is what's going on more and more worldwide, right? You know, fewer kids are dying, more kids are going to school, uh, uh, more parents are in decent jobs, so on and so forth. Um, you know, this not news is fantastic. Uh, uh, I, you know, it's, it's the beauty of banality. Um, but it's, it's hard to make it into something compelling uh, uh, for TV. So when you, when you look at what is reported about the rest of the world in, in newspapers, online, on TV, it tends to be the tragedies and we should focus on the tragedies, right? I mean, I mentioned uh, Syria and Yemen. I don't think Yemen is getting nearly enough attention for the, for the, for the horror uh, that is going on there. I, 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 do think we should focus on the tragedies, but we need to put that in the context of a world that as a whole is getting, you know, a lot better in almost every way you can think, including, you know, ra- r- rates of violence that, that, that for all the, the tragedy of Syria and Yemen, uh, Apart from a, a, a brief period in the aughts, we've never seen a world so peaceful. Um, so on, you know, all sorts of different measures, we really are making this dramatic progress, um, but it's, it's not reportable because it's largely stuff not happening.
0: One of the big challenges, I think, for an optimist is, you know, as you said, uh, sort of processing the news that we're exposed to. Um, and doing so in a way that sort of maintains your optimism, but as you said, uh, allows you to sort of recognize real tragedy that you see in the world. So you're exposed to the same media coverage and conversations as the rest of us. So how do you go about trying to process uh, the world around you in a way that sort of retains that optimism?
1: Um, I have to say partially I've got into the habit of sort of writing something around this time of year about, uh, you know, all the good things that have happened over the past year. Um, So uh, measles has been uh, uh, wiped out from uh, uh, Europe, for example, in the last year. Um, uh, a A whole bunch of other, you know, positive things have happened that haven't been terribly widely reported or not as widely reported as uh, uh, the tragedies have. So searching those stories out um, uh, certainly is, is something that helps me keep a sense of balance. Um, and I, I do think is important, you know, not just because it makes you feel better about the state of the world. The fact is we're living in a world of more and more opportunity, um, and that's good for all of us. It means that we're not in a sort of zero-sum world where one person going up means another person going down. And so you know we have to be in constant conflict with each other over a a fit set of a fixed set of resources and you know uh, the, there 's only a certain amount to go around and we 've got to fight over it. We really are in a world of opportunity where where both sides can win, and that has implications for trade policy and uh, migration policy and investment policies and all sorts of you know, uh, different important policy decisions, it matters that we see the world in the right way as one that is getting richer, healthier, happier, uh, more peaceful, and one which we need to engage with with that understanding.
0: Sure. And if there's a general pessimism or negativity about world events, um, I think what we see uh, in our work in communications is that this is particularly true for sub-Saharan Africa. Um, And in your book, uh, One Economist, uh, you quote, goes as far as to describe the condition in many countries in Africa as a 14th century reality of civil war, plague, and ignorance. So what's your take?
1: It's rubbish. Um, if you look at almost any measure of the quality of life, it is it is way better uh, in Africa today than in 14th century Europe. That said, there are you know immense ch- challenges. Um, uh, uh, what we've learned since the 14th century is how good things can be. Um, you know, if you look at rich countries, uh, 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 they are in every way, shape and form, uh, much, much, much better off than uh, uh, 14th century Europe. And and in Africa, they're only much, much better off. And we need to get them to the much, much, much better off. Um, You know, that said, one of the ways we're different from 14th century is – is exactly around the area you will work in. Um, in the 14th century, we really didn't understand about the germ theory of disease. We didn't really understand about the importance of of, of basic sanitation. And you know that's uh, obvious if you if you look at uh, the number of saints from you know that period who who one of their saintly features was they never washed. Um, I, I'm glad that we don't sort of celebrate that uh, anymore. And you know since Victorian times, cleanliness has been next to godliness, not the opposite. Um, That uh, we've learned the incredible value of really simple technologies, if you will, like soap, um, is one of the reasons that uh, Africa is so much better off today than countries of a similar income were, uh, sorry, regions of a similar income were, um, and and countries in Africa are are better off than countries of a similar income um, uh, 100 years ago.
0: I'd like to expand on that last point because I think a major theme in your book um, is related to how, even if income might be stagnant or only growing marginally in a country over a period of thirty or hundred years, that the life experience, um, the life experienced by the people in that country, can change dramatically. Can you can you expand on that?
1: Right so i mean there are still sadly one or two countries worldwide that are uh, as far as you know our income measures go they're about as rich as Gaul was at the time that caesar invaded um i mean really poor right uh, as as poor as many countries 2000 uh, plus years ago um those countries see life expectancy and infant mortality and education rates and so on much 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 higher uh, than ancient Gaul did, um, and a big reason why is the quality of life has got cheaper um, so to take an example from 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 a, a, a sanitation area. Um, It is fantastic when people get access to 24-hour-a-day piped water and piped sanitation. Um, I think everybody in the world should have it. In the 19th century, you really needed that kind of uh, uh, system in order to make city – cities livable at, uh, at all, otherwise they, 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 they were death traps and the only way they kept populations up was to bring in more and more rural people. If you look at African cities today, um, life expectancy uh, in, and, and child mortality are better in cities than in rural areas. And it's not because everybody has got uh, access to pipe water and pipe sanitation, I wish they did. Um, it's that we've now got cheaper technologies that allow for a lot of the health gains. So, you know, soap and dirty water is is an improvement over uh, uh, um, not soap uh, uh, and water. Um, uh, vaccination uh, uh, has wiped out diseases uh, that were uh, current in much richer countries, you know, 100 years ago. To take the the example, that nobody in this uh, century has got smallpox and hundreds of millions died of smallpox last century and that's because we invented a vaccine and and spread it worldwide. So these very cheap technologies, bed nets, uh, hand washing, uh, vaccines, antibiotics, have spread immense health benefits worldwide even to countries that remain desperately poor.
0: You write a lot about the different dimensions of well-being, health, education, civil liberties, jobs, and income, and how they've uh, progressed over, over the years, over the decades and centuries. And as you sort of look at that pattern of development, is it possible to sort of disentangle what's driving progress in one area or, or another? Is education driving improvements in income? Is income driving improvements in health?
1: I think there's a certain amount of all good things go together, but I I I would say um, it's it was very clear in the last fifty years that even countries that saw no income growth were seeing these uh, other things improve, and so that suggests a really important element of the story was technology and ideas. So I've talked about some of these technologies, you know, vaccines and so on, but the technologies alone don't do it. You need to spread the idea that these technologies are useful. So do people know that washing their hands is a really good way uh, to reduce disease transfer. Uh, uh, Do people uh, think that it's important, uh, rather than have their kids uh, in the fields working on the farm, that they're in school? do people think that actually probably they really ought to get some say in who their president is? Um, The spread of these ideas, uh, which are free in one sense of the word, you know, it doesn't cost anything to have an idea, um, has been a really important part of taking technologies and making them have impact in the real world. You know, and and I think one of the the sort of the tragedies of... uh, um, uh, 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 in, in, in health is how many people remain unaware of some of these ideas. So, for example, there's a s- survey question that's uh, 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 asked in a number of countries around the world about what do you do when your child has diarrhea? Do you give them more water or do you take water away? And a scary number of parents think that the right answer is to deny water. And a scarily few parents know that you know, the best thing is to uh, mix up a, a package of oral rehydration salts, you know, which is deals with almost uh, uh, all diarrheal deaths uh, it's very simple technology you know a scary number of parents still don't know that um so there's a, a a lot more space for the spread of these ideas but they have spread infinitely further than they 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 had a uh, hundred years ago nobody sort of knew about oral rehydration therapy at all hundred years ago it hadn't been invented yet um so you know we're making progress i'd love to see that progress faster
0: sure and i if- think you know, that sort of uh, kind of community outreach and kind of promotion of, of, of different types of norms and, and values is certainly a, a key part of our work as it sure. relates to hand washing and, and sanitation and yep. sort of general cleanliness of the, of the home and community. Um, I guess from your review of the evidence, because uh, I think there's some degree of skepticism, I guess, uh, around those sorts of efforts. What, what's the evidence that those sorts of programs, that sort of outreach can actually work?
1: Well, I mean, I think, uh, and, and you will probably know uh, this evidence better than I, but I mean, I think there is fairly compelling evidence that if you can persuade a village um, that, uh, you know, open field defecation is a, a way that diseases spread, um, they are much more likely to uh, stop Uh, uh, defecating in the fields and in countries with really high uh, rural population density like India or Bangladesh that can save hundreds of thousands of lives Um, and so I I do think the evidence is quite strong that that, uh, these programs have been shown to work you know where they are introduced you are seeing lower rates of of diarrheal death for example Um, and so uh, you know uh, it, it, it may be contested I'm I'm I'd be surprised anybody anybody who's looked at the literature would would contest very much. Doesn't mean it always works, right? Um, nothing always works, um, uh, uh, but it is clear. You know, we know two things, if you will. Uh, we know that uh, 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 there are real dangers to open field defecation, for example. We know that building toilets is not enough. Um, we know that uh, uh, if you if you combine some support for toilet building with a clear explanation of why this matters, um, it seems to have a bigger effect. And I, I mean, you know, I, I believe that we've seen uh, uh, fairly careful studies of that in, in India in Bangladesh and other places. And so uh, at least I'm, I'm convinced.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I think uh, we'd certainly agree. And You know, I think that kind of picks up on, you know, a common theme in your writing where, you know, you're focused on cheaper goods that make being healthy easier. You're focused on ideas and norms. Um, and I think that's a little bit different than I think what most people would associate with improvements in health, which, you know, they might think of doctors and hospital beds and, and things like that. And so I'm curious, can you maybe walk through sort of why you focus on sort of cheaper goods and, and ideas and norms rather than what we might typically think of when thinking of improving health and well-being?
1: Partially, we know that there's got to be a lot more to it than doctors and hospitals because, sadly, uh, the vast majority of people worldwide can't afford access to a really good doctor or hospital. Um, uh, doctors and hospitals are really expensive. And uh, most people worldwide, despite all the progress in, in, in incomes over the last 10, 15 years, remain really, really very poor. Uh, you know, some of them living on less than ninety a day. Um, so you can't explain what has happened to the health of people living on $1.90 a day by talking about an extensive uh, network of doctors and hospitals. They don't have them. Um, So it has to be these other things. Um, uh, And there's sort of direct evidence that it's these other things, that that when you see vaccine programs uh, roll out across the country, you see fewer people dying of vaccine-preventable diseases. Uh, uh, When you see more and more people learn about what to do when their child has diarrhea, uh, you see fewer people, kids dying of of, of dehydration. Um, so you can sort of take it from two points of view. One is it clearly can't be the doctors and hospitals because those doctors and hospitals aren't there uh or you can take it from a point of view of well look when you introduce these cheap technologies you seem to see uh de- declining rates of mortality so from either point of view uh uh it's you know it's it's got to be these cheap technologies that are doing it all of that is not to say doctors and hospitals don't matter um i am immensely grateful uh that in in the united states where not everybody has this i have you know Access to good quality healthcare. I think everybody worldwide ought to have access to doctors and hospitals. I don't want to wait, and I'm glad we don't have to wait on access to doctors and hospitals in order to massively reduce um, uh, early mortality. Um, You know, these other cheaper techniques do a lot of the work. Um, And so let's use them and then, you know, uh, uh, Alongside that, try and get everybody to the position where they can they can also have access to doctors and hospitals.
0: Sure, and you know to make the you know this conversation uh, a bit more concrete and talk about where we work. You know, um, we we focus our efforts in Uganda. And Uganda is a country with one of the highest fertility rates in the world. It is a population set to grow from around 40 million to 60 million in the coming decades. Uh, At the same time, child mortality um, is is, uh, tragically high, as is malnutrition and a number of other health challenges related to children. Um, And sort of there's this cycle, there's this dynamic present um, there that's been present in other countries in the past. Uh, can you talk about how countries have broken out of this sort of negative cycle in the past?
1: So, um, I have a colleague, David Ruman, who uh, argues that you can't explain all of the decline in uh, fertility uh, worldwide um, uh, because, uh, on the basis that people have fewer kids when they know their kids are likely to survive. Um, While he's a bit skeptical of that argument, I think even he would say that one big reason people have fewer kids is because they are more convinced that those children will survive through childhood. So one of the factors, I think, behind declining fertility is uh, uh, improved child health. Um, there are a bunch of others. Uh, so I think education is an underlying force behind um, both improved child health and declining fertility. One reason being that if you keep girls in school, they tend to not to get pregnant as early and early pregnancy is one of the you know, biggest risks for uh, both mothers and children. Um, so there are a bunch of sort of interconnections here between health and education and, and, and norms of, of behavior and so on. Um, but the sort of, the, the big story is all of these things can come together and they can come together awfully quickly. Um, so, you know, we, in, 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 in Rwanda, you know, uh, uh, pretty much next door to Uganda, we've seen, um, I think, the fastest decline in child mortality we've ever seen anywhere over the last 20 years. Um, uh, just, I think, it by, by three quarters. Um, uh, you know, we've also seen uh, a, a fairly dramatic declining uh, uh, more, um, uh, fertility in that country and you know rising education rates. So these things can happen really quite fast. Um, and I think they happen quite fast when you sort of push on a whole bunch of different things at once. Uh, you, you, you push on education, you push on wash, you push on uh, vaccination, you, you, know, you use sort of all the policy tools you have available uh, across this wide range um, together. And then you can see spectacular, heartwarming, fantastic changes in the quality of life over a fairly short period.
0: So on that topic, you communicated in a wonderful way, a sort of general optimism about what we can achieve in the future. And um, last year, as you know, the United Nations came together um, to set uh, goals for 2030 around economic development, health and well-being, the environment. And these goals are much more ambitious in, in a way than in the past, where past development goals um, tended to focus on reducing by significant rates the amount of extreme poverty, for example, or child mortality, a lot of the language shifted to now eliminating, uh, let's say, preventable child deaths or eliminating extreme poverty. So when you think about these goals for the, for the next um, approximately you know, 14 to 15 years, are you optimistic?
1: I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I, I would say um, uh, uh, I would love to see all of the things uh, in the Sustainable Development Goals happen by 2030. Uh, I think we will be incredibly lucky if they happen, which is not to say they're, they're physically impossible uh, in any sense of the word. I think uh, you know, we have the technologies and globally we have the finance uh, to meet those targets. Um, the amount of political will it would take uh, from countries rich and poor alike, uh, I'm not sure. Um, uh, I, I believe we'll see. Um, so, for example, I think uh, massively increased migration would have to be a part of the story if we're going to have the kind of economic growth rates they're talking about which are required to reduce poverty at quite the uh, 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 rate they're suggesting, Um, and so on. Um, So um, I am very optimistic there will be a a lot of progress between now and 2030. I think it could remain at historically unprecedented rates. I hope it meets the really incredibly historically unprecedented rates suggested by the SDGs. Um, and, And if we manage that, I will be cheering as loud as anybody else.
0: Excellent. And, you know, as we think about, you know, trying to achieve these goals, you know, there's different roles for international aid, for philanthropy, for government and um, reducing child mortality, reducing extreme poverty and improving quality of life and you know, protecting the environment. So I guess what do you see as the principal ways that these uh, organizations and institutions can add value?
1: I think there are lots. Um, I think that that, um, especially sort of uh, non-government support has the advantage that it can be uh, flexible and fast and shouldn't be afraid of failure. Um, And so I would love to see it it being used to sort of try out new things, um, uh, which may well not work, uh, but try out new things and test them properly uh, to see if they do work. Um, uh, And I think... The, the private sector writ large. I mean, so, so just the non-government sector is, is better at that kind of risk-taking. And I think that's really important. There are things that governments won't do. Um, for example, lobby governments, uh, uh, which I think is really important for, for civil society. Governments are a vital part of the development story and let nobody tell you otherwise. Um, They are the only economic thing out there with the scale required to provide universal services. Um, And so if, for example, you really want to make sure that uh, uh, everybody eventually does have access to piped water. the the only vehicle we have really to d- deliver on that is government doesn 't mean they have to do it all, but it means you know they 're going to be playing the central role um, uh, so Lobbying governments to do the right thing, I think, is a really important uh, uh, part of it. And it's not just developing country governments; it's developed country governments. Uh, 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 the rich world is doing a bunch of things that aren't terribly helpful when it comes to speeding global development progress. There, uh, their migration policies are out of whack. Uh, there's increasing uh, pressure for uh, growing trade barriers. Um, you know, I could go on. So there, there are things that the rich world governments need to do too in order to make sure we can maximize uh, global development. Um, but I also think there's a, there's a, there's a role to, to fill in where um, uh, governments aren't delivering basic services. In I'm glad to say not very many countries, but in some countries uh, uh, governments are still doing an absolutely terrible job at providing the most basic of uh, services and um, the most basic of you know, human needs. And in those places, I think we have, a, you know, we all have a moral responsibility to try and, and, and fill those gaps. Um, and, you know, civil society has a big role to play there.
0: Great. And I'd like to continue on that subject of government, um, in particular in developing countries, and we can say in particular in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, I think that's a topic where, again, there's even more pessimism and negativity um, And again, sometimes for good cause and other times perhaps not. Um, So I'm curious, what are the reasons that we should be positive or optimistic about um, government and its uh, role in improving lives in the future?
1: Again, to get us back to the story, comparing Africa and African countries to regions and countries that were at a similar level of income as as African countries today back in history – African governments are doing a far better job of providing services to nearly all or all of their populations. If you look at vaccination rates across um, a number of African countries, they're, they're, you know, 90% or higher for the basic vaccinations. If you look at uh, school enrollment, they're, you know, 95, 100% for for, for primary kids. if you look at the quality of the road system, um, bad though it may feel when you're bumping over it, it's a lot better than it was 20, 30 years ago and it's a lot better again than uh, it was in, in countries of a similar income level uh, 100 years ago. So you are actually seeing these governments provide a better quality of service for the amount of money they have um, than were a uh, uh, uh than governments have in the past. This is not to say uh, that there's not horrible inefficiency and and some level of corruption. Um, if you, you know, survey uh, uh, people across uh, poorer developing countries and ask them, you know, have they paid a bribe to the police in the last year, a scary number say yes. Um, if you survey them and asked if they had to pay a bribe in order to get health services, a scary number say yes. Um, so there is corruption and there is inefficiency. I'm not denying it. I just would say that despite that corruption and inefficiency, these governments are doing um, a historically pretty good job at reaching out and providing some services to nearly everybody. Um, and so we shouldn't write them off. Uh, these are governments that uh, have shown the capacity to deliver. They've, they've shown, you know, they've been part of this hugely, historically unprecedented global progress we're seeing. And we should you know, help them get better rather than write them off as useless.
0: Excellent. Well, this has been a great discussion, and I think you've given us a lot of reasons to be optimistic about global development, um, particularly for those in greatest need. Um, at the same time, I'd be remiss if I didn't return to um, your book, The Upside of Down, Why the Rise of the Rest is Good for the West. So if we think about the US, if we think about Europe, um, what, why are you optimistic?
1: So the biggest opportunity for the United States and Europe uh, ever, pretty much, is the growth of the developing world. You know, rich people buy more stuff. Um, so China is exporting, uh, is exporting a lot, but it's also importing more than it ever has before. It's also inventing things that we use, um, and it's got a long track record of doing that, by the way. Uh, you know, China invented paper and fireworks, and I guess we're quite grateful for that. Um, a, a richer, more healthy, uh, uh, more educated planet is a richer, more healthy, more educated uh, America and Europe. Uh, the United States, for example, most of its exports nowadays go to developing countries. Um, we benefit from uh, uh, migrants from all over the world who found uh, more than half of uh, Silicon Valley startups are, are founded by uh, immigrants from other countries where they've got you know a good education and they've, they've come here and they're using it. So this is a... Fantastic time if we seize these opportunities and if we work together, uh, with developing countries for the United States and Europe to be richer and better off and happier than ever before and for the rest of the world to be so too. This is, we are so far far from a zero sum. We are in a, a world that is increasingly positive sum. And I think that we really have to, you know, grasp those opportunities. I'm I'm worried, I admit, that the the current political climate doesn't seem to be in favor of grasping those opportunities. They're not going to go away tomorrow. We have time to, you know, wake up and smell the roses. Uh, And as long as we do, I have immense hopes for the future, not just for developing countries, uh, but for for, uh, the West as well. Thanks. And that's a great note to end on. And
0: for listeners who'd like to read more of your work, where would you direct them?
1: Um, Probably the the, the easiest place is the CGD website uh, uh, where I've got an expert page. Uh, I also have a a uh, charleskenny.blogs.com as well. Uh, It has everything I've ever written, I think, on it, uh, which would be far too much.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you again uh, for your time, Charles. And here's to uh, an optimistic and more prosperous 2017.
1: Absolutely. Happy New Year. Happy
0: New Year. If you'd like to learn more about our work at the Water Trust, you can visit us on our website at watertrust.org. And if you'd like to read more of Charles' work uh, at Center for Global Development, you can visit Center for Global Development's website at cgdev.org. Thank you.